This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two time asian american podcasters association's golden crane award winning podcaster in this podcasting game this is episode 180 and it is the final episode of the quarter two episodes of militantly mixed before i go on my mental health hiatus in august which i've already established will not be a mental health hiatus because i will be traveling for four and a half weeks and it's going to be crazy. Uh, but I am going to be taking a hiatus off of most of my shows. I am going to be doing at least, well, let's say I'm possibly going to be doing at least one episode of Blurred Comics because my co-host and myself will find ourselves in the same state in a few weeks. And so taking up the opportunity to be together on the show, probably release at least one episode during the, uh, August together. That being said, Blurred Vision may just run episodes either with a guest or without me uh, during the month of August because I'm the one that goes on the mental health hiatus. He doesn't necessarily need to unless he's too busy. So there might be an episode of Blurred Comics coming your way uh, because we are going to be together in person. And then I'm also dropping a new show. I'm, I've been talking about it for months, but it's finally here. We have our first episode almost laid down all the way. And uh, I'm really excited to announce my latest show, Queer and Far. Queer and Far is a travel podcast from a couple of queer femmes. It is hosted by myself and my friend Shenanigans. Uh, we have known each other for 20 years. We went to college together. And while we have been in and out of each other's lives, we, for the last about four to five years, have been kind of sharing our mutual desire to leave the country. Uh, COVID put the bricks on that. Starting my business put the bricks on that a little bit for me as well. And for a period of time, I thought uh, Shay would go on somewhere and then I would basically probably just follow her for a little while to have my first bout of living abroad be near somebody that I know. So we've been talking about doing some form of a project related to this for a while because we have a mutual desire to make things a little bit more accessible for marginalized folks. Uh, we are both queer identified femmes. Uh, I am obviously mixed race, brown presenting femme. Uh, Shay is my, I used to call her my white woman whisperer. You may have heard me mention her on the show several times. Uh, now I call her my emotional support white woman because of TikTok. And um, she and I have different aspects of our intersections that we need to account for and be safe in when we travel. Me as a brown femme, her as a femme that deals with some health issues and potentially looking at a future with disability. And then we have a collection of people that we are friends with that are either femme, non-binary, trans, queer folks that need to know that they can go to certain places safely. Um, obviously, some countries do have anti, 
uh, LGBTQ laws. Um, and of course, there is also just generally as a brown person knowing where to travel safely. So we will be using our show to discuss issues related to that. Um, I'm also going to be using my travels as a way to share uh, what did I feel safe? Was this place accessible? We'll be doing that throughout the course of the show while also tra tracking our mutual um, attempt to leave the country together-ish. We are planning on probably going to the same country the first time out the gate and living relatively close together uh, so that we can lean on each other and support each other before we make decisions about where we want to go in the future. Uh, so I'm really excited about this show. We're going to drop this first episode on August 3rd. You can follow us on all the social media at QueerFarPod. That's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook page, of course. Uh, and then I believe we're going to be starting off a Discord channel, too, so that if you are engaged in our membership, you can actually ask questions directly related to the research uh, that either Shay or myself has conducted um, for a membership fee, of course. Uh, I'm really excited about this. We are also doing this as a YouTube vlog, so if you would like to catch the video versions of the episodes that are going to be available on YouTube, as of right now we have zero subscribers because we haven't launched the channel, but you can actually check Queer and Far Podcast on YouTube and hit that subscribe button so that you won't miss the first episode when it drops. And then we'll also be including an audio version of the episodes on wherever you're listening to podcasts right now, queer, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, et cetera. Uh, so August 3rd, that episode is going to, that first episode is going to be dropping. And then we have another one that follows two weeks later. So that's going to be a, a biweekly show until such time as we are living together in the same country. Uh, we're both entrepreneurs. We both have separate businesses in addition to this project. So we're trying to keep the pressure a little bit low for us in the beginning before we uh, actually do leave the country sometime next year. Okay, and finally, this is a long-ass episode, y'all. <laughs> I, I told you I was trying to get through the edit before I went into Comic Palooza last week, weekend, but uh, the panels and all that kind of stuff kind of got in the way. It has taken me about four days to try to complete this edit, and it is still an hour and 45 minutes long. When Lisa and I get together, we talk. The first time we met, we were supposed to talk for half an hour, we talked for two hours. The second time we met, we were supposed to talk for an hour, we talked for two hours. Uh, we have been engaging in one way or another through Facebook or through Instagram over the last couple of years, and this time was no different. When I invited her back to talk about her new company, we talked for two and a half hours. I've cut out about 45 minutes of this, and I still probably could cut out another half an hour, but I just, I just couldn't figure out where I wanted that to do be and then of course like today is Monday that I'm recording this and I'm supposed to already have been done with this episode to put it up so that it is ready to go on Tuesday morning so I'm leaving it as it is it's an hour and 45 minutes we do get into good stuff all the way throughout so I do hope that you stick it out throughout uh, Lisa has already been on the show she was on episode 49 I could be mixed all I wanted but I saw I saw myself as black uh, I brought her back because a couple years ago she started talking about creating a new business uh, which she started out with an online community with the goal of, of leading its way towards opening up a yarn shop. The online community is called For You, E-W-E, like sheep, an inclusive yarn community. And her goal is to create a safe space within what is really a toxic, toxic fucking community. 
Uh, we're both knitters. That's how we met in the first place. We, we are engaged through Lola Bean Yarn Co. from Adela Colvin, who's also been on this show. And we have found ourselves over the last year and a half, just in this, or two years really, just the most toxic anti-black uh, community because literally there are people out there in the world that think there's no sheep in Africa, so why are black people knitting? Um, or yarn dyeing or opening yarn shops or what have you. We've been watching this happen over the last couple of years and it, it did was probably one of many things that motivated Lisa to open her business and be to be a face of a yarn business and yarn community as a black person uh, or black appearing person as a mixed race black person. Uh, and I wanted to share that story with y'all. We do talk about the shop quite a bit, and we talk about ourselves, and we talk about um, developing our businesses. We get a little bit into politics as well, but there's so much about this episode that felt really good that I wanted to share that I really mostly cut out ums and this meander that we had where we ended up talking about some famous people that we knew. Okay, so that is it. I, again, I'm going to be on hiatus for the month of August, although I am going to release two episodes of Queer and Far during August. Um, mostly the work is already done on it. It's just, uh, it's just a question of getting them up anyway and then possibly doing an episode of Blair Comics. But other than that, you are not going to hear from me again probably until September 13th, which is when I will return. I am traveling that first week of September. And honestly, I'm actually on a three-week straight run where I'm only going to be home for a day and a half in between. So there's no way I'm going to have an episode for y'all by Saturday, uh, by September 6th. That being said, I'll do my best to try to jump on lives to show you where I'm at just because I am traveling for podcast-related things, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. So keep an eye on the Instagram because that's probably where that stuff is going to come up. And then I will summarize and let you all know about my August journey when I come back in September. Uh, and also we're going to be kicking things back off with a new episode of The Mix Auntie Confidential because that, that first Tuesday that I come back will be the second Tuesday of the month which is Mixed Auntie Confidential Day. Uh, so I think that's it. Again, stick it out for this episode because it's all pearls. It's all gems. Keep it, keep it going all the way through. Uh, and also check out the show notes and or the end of the episode where Lisa does share how you can find her, her business, and, um, and buy some yarn from her shop. Yeah, so I guess that's it. Since you're not going to hear from me until <laughs> September, don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. And if I don't answer any emails or Instagrams, that's because I'm on hiatus. Peace, y'all. Today I am bringing, I'm digging into the Militantly Mixed Crates and I'm bringing back a special guest from 2019, episode 49. I could be mixed all I want, but I saw myself as black. Lisa Whitfield, entrepreneur of For You Inclusive Yarn Community. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Militantly Mixed. Thanks for having me back, Charmaine. <laughs> So I listened back to part of our episode that we did a couple of years ago, and I had all the feels. And even in my intro, I'm talking like if leading into our episode, I'm just like, 
I remember we had just such a fun time because back when you were previously a guest on the show, I used to do these half an hour and I'm doing that in quotation fingers, half an hour, um, like preschool pre-screens. And then it went forever. Like your daughter or your son, one of your children was texting you and calling you like, can you stop what you're doing and pay attention to us? So we had a good time and then we came back and we did our recording. And we had a good time there too. And you know, that didn't happen all the time, but it did happen sometimes. There was sometimes I really did vibe well with folks and you were one of those folks. So in, in that episode, you can hear me talk about like, we had so much fun with our talk and we we're giggling and stuff like that. So I'm glad to have you back. And so much has changed in the last three years since we last talked. You had a totally okay. different focus in your life of what's going on now which I can relate to because <laughs> there's been some changes. Uh, so I thought I'd bring you back so we can bring you into it. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about it. Let's, let's start with a little refresher. Why don't you let everybody know kind of a little bit about yourself, what your mix is, so folks who haven't heard your episode, and then we'll get into Awesome. Well, I'm Lisa Whitfield. I'm a lot older than the last time I talked to you. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I am a 50-something woman of mixed heritage, Black, Irish, and Cherokee being the most, you know, acknowledged parts of my mm, mm. Um, More on my mother's side than my father's. And I am also in a marriage with a white person. So not only am I of mixed race, my children are of mixed race. Right. So it's um, what goes around comes around. You did, you did interview me as Viola Mom 2, or Viola mm -hmm. Mom, and I am still Viola Mom. I do still play the viola, and I am still the mother of two kids if I don't kill one of them. <laughs> but in the meantime, since I spoke to you, there's been a bit of a pivot. Mm -hmm. I decided to enter the entrepreneurial world as a yarn shop owner. Yeah. <laughs> which, if you know me, isn't quite as random as it sounds. Um, right. Because I've been an avid knitter for, for many years. And I got really tired. I touched on this a little bit the last time we spoke. I got really tired of working for other people. Yeah. I figured out I'm not really very, I, I don't want to say I'm not good at it. Because I'm, you know, I try yeah. to be good at whatever it is I'm doing. I try to, you know, have an air of competence about me. But honestly, I was tired. I was yeah. just tired of other people setting rules and policies that I disagreed with or thought were, I can't curse, can I? Yeah, you can. We're grown. Great. Thought if our knees don't work, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> My knees stopped working a long time ago. So. <laughs> you are so funny. <laughs> yeah, I just, I got really, really tired of working for other people, particularly you know, incompetent men. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say it that way, but don't be, don't, don't bother. It was just kind of like, I'm sick of being the smartest person in the room, but you're the boss. Right. hundred percent. It got really annoying. So I decided to be my own boss. And for the first time in my life, I actually like my boss. <laughs> nice. I like my boss. She's very reasonable. <laughs> She does not give me any trouble. She Excellent. ain't yelling at me. I'm not afraid of being fired. It's great. Being my own boss is awesome. It's the best. That's great. 
Well, also, even the way we're connected is also because of pretty much Lola Bane Yarn Co., which is something we both fan out on hard on the internets. And we were supporters already. We were part of a community um, that was tied to Lola Bane Yarn Co. on the Facebooks and stuff like that. So that's even our origin is like the way we enter knowing each other is not necessarily through being mixed heritage, but through being knitters and supporting a mixed Black and Puerto Rican owned yarn business. Um, so it wasn't, it didn't seem out of nowhere for me, even though I didn't know that that was the, you know, that was going to be what was going to happen. Cause I think at the time you, I think you had just gotten some kind of a promotion or something like that. The position you were holding at the no, time, I don't I, remember what it was. I was gone from my job. Oh, you were gone from your time when we talked. Okay. But so whatever it was that was going on at that point, I don't know if that was necessarily already starting in your head that this was something I was going to be doing, but like the world has changed so dramatically in the last three oh. years. Uh, we yes. we just made decisions and we changed our lives. Right. Actually, much. honestly, Charmaine, it was in the back of my mind, but it mm. was so far in the back of my mind. Because even when I still had my job, I remember saying, man, I would love to just open up a yarn shop. And thinking, like, it was a dream or not even a dream. It was just like one of those things you say to yourself when you're right. ready to kill everybody at work and you're <laughs> tired. And you're just like, this is bullshit. And I don't want to deal with this anymore. Why don't I just go open a yarn shop? Like, why don't I just pack all my stuff and go on a slow boat to wherever? Right. That kind of feeling. I mean, I've had those fantasies all the time. A hundred percent. And part of mine was that I wanted a comic book shop. But it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to do this thing. I'll never do this thing. You know, it just a, a, a... and maybe this has a lot to do with us growing up the way that we did in, in blackness where we don't live in a society that tells us we can accomplish everything that we want to accomplish or that um, dreams and fantasies aren't realistic. You know, like that that is very much the branding of how oh, um, black yeah. and brown folks are, are are raised and stuff. So I think, you know, you and I probably very similarly were like, yeah, this is the next thing I want to do. It's a pipe dream, you know, yes. like not really thinking seriously about it. It is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And the thing you just described, that was my mother to a T. I Mm. remember when I first started playing an instrument and my mother literally said to me out loud, in these words, Black people don't play the violin. Right. And I remember in the back of my mind thinking, well, I'm Black and I'm playing the violin. So not true. So so something's broken. (laughs) There's a problem with the logic there. Yeah. And later on, as I grew up, I saw not only did lots of Black people play stringed instruments, mm-hmm. they had done it for many years prior mm-hmm. to my doing it, and my mother just didn't have the information available to her, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's a whole other thing about history. That's a whole other thing, yeah. You know, we're only just now starting to really educate ourselves as to where we come from as American citizens in this country. Right. And the history of land ownership and entrepreneurship and making a way out of no way that black folks do so well that has been going on for so many years, mm-hmm. but we don't know about it because we don't talk about it. Those oral traditions are broken. The news mm-hmm. reports it a different way or the news doesn't report it at all. So, right. you know, I, I'm glad that I didn't listen to my mother back then. And yeah. I, my, I mean, I'm not glad my mother's gone. But I'm glad that my mother wasn't here to say something that might have stopped me. Right. Right. Because that that parental 
disapproval is a powerful thing. I mean, uh, the path that I originally was planning on taking when I was going into college was immediately derailed by my mother. Her just belief, she's like, we'll never, you'll never be able to afford to do that. Why would you even try? And so I just went down a different path. And I think I still want to know there's curiosity sometimes. I still want to know what I have been able, because I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to to not be Johnny Cochran. <laughs> like I basically, it was the OJ trial was the thing that I was in high school at the time right. and it got me and I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Right. I wanted to be the opposite Brown version of that, like where I supported my my community in a, in a real way and things like that in the way that I felt about him at the time. And, uh, and my mom derailed that. And I wonder what would have been different had I gone down that path, you know, a more social justice angle to to my life than sort of the way that I access social justice work now, kind of through podcasting or whatever. But it was like, all she said one time, she just said it once. And, and I changed my major. Yeah, I okay. changed my major. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. I know this is this you're, you're interviewing me and I'm not <laughs> you. But hearing you say that really just hurts my heart. Yeah. As a mother myself, I spent a lot of time examining how I had been parented. Mm-hmm. Not just mothered, but parented. Parented, yeah. And, you know, it, I, you know how everybody talks about the, this is how you act when you encounter the police speech that we all have to give our kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I felt less like I needed to give that speech to my daughter than my son. Mm-hmm. Um. I still had the conversation, but you know, when you're, when your children are a little more white appearing than you are, mm-hmm. there's a part of your brain that's like, okay, I should have the conversation with you because you are my child, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I should also let you know that not only might this never happen to you, but you're going to see it happen to others. And I need you to understand the history behind this crazy. Right. No, I think it's important. Oh, it's incredibly important. And I just didn't want my, I didn't want my kids to feel that there was something they couldn't do if they tried. Yeah. And I gave them space to fail. I feel as, as black folks, a lot of the time we don't have space to fail. Right. And, and sort of bringing this back around to what I'm doing now. There are times when I look at my husband and I just cry and I go, I'm afraid to fail. I am afraid to fail. Charmaine, I am 54 years old, okay? It's just like, why am I sitting here feeling like that eight-year-old who's right. afraid to take that math test? That's powerful. She feel comfortable because she doesn't understand multiplication with the eight tables or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not going to get a perfect score, and her mom and dad are going to be pissed. Because it's not just like the mom and dad, right? It also feels like a generational, like, we're not allowed to fail because we finally and this is also quotation fingers have you know our freedoms and things like that and we're supposed to be at the same level of achievement as white folks and all this other kind of stuff like we put this burden on ourselves and then we pass that burden on to the generations and it just ends up staying the most powerful thing i still i'm still struggling with that even as i'm trying to find new ways of accepting what i'm trying to call now pivots and or changes versus quitting and are failing at something you know because i've had a couple pretty significant changes over the last couple of years and those days were like today it feels like i i chose myself and i pivoted 
but tomorrow it might feel like, dang, I really failed that opportunity. You know, like things like that kind of go back and forth. So I, I 100% understand where, right. where you're sitting with that. And and same thing, like I, I try to tell myself, like at 44 years old, a kid who grew up in the hood, who grew up on welfare, who bounced between parents and aunts and, and grandparents and stuff like that whenever my parents couldn't take care of me. I still managed to go to college. I still managed to get a master's. I still managed to to have a pretty strong career, just one seat shy from an executive suite for a period of time. And then I was like, ew. Right? <laughs> and I left. <laughs> and I left that behind and I started podcasting and I started my comic book shop and, and stuff like that. And so like, I'm trying to teach myself to reframe what failure means. Right. And I'm talking about that from a Japanese perspective. I'm talking about that from a black perspective. Right. And I'm sitting here just like, okay, if there's opportunities to have conversations like this, where we get into that moment where we're like, and then I failed the blah, 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 that we stop each other. And we're like, but did you though? Right. Exactly. Did you fail? Fail or did you make a choice? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. And I mean, the whole thing about black excellence is important because we should be able to show we're doctors, we're lawyers, we're scientists, we're this, we're that, we're the other. I think that's incredibly important, but I think two things have come out of that burden on our generation. And one of the things that's a problem is what is the definition of success? Mm -hmm. You know, what is success? Did I fail at being a musician because I decided to do something else or did I say, okay, I've done this and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with what I've done. I'm okay with leaving it here. And now I'm going to do a different thing. Right. That doesn't, because you're choosing to do something different, it doesn't mean you failed. It simply means you've made another choice. Right. And, other and that you're multifaceted, <laughs> like that you can't just have one thing or be one thing. Exactly. Your whole life. You can be talented in more than one way mm -hmm. and live many different aspects of that talent and that intelligence but we've been taught no you have to go and go to medical school and you have to be a doctor and then not only do you have to be a doctor you have to be the doctor up here mm -hmm. at, mm -hmm. at the uppermost echelon of doctoring and then you got to be members of all the right clubs for black doctors and then you got to be the perfect wife who keeps a perfect house, who mm -hmm. raised the perfect little, I went to Jack and Jill children and you got to be in the links and you got to be this and you got to be that and you got to be the other. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge burden on anybody. That's a huge burden. And so the second thing that I think we really are only now starting to address is what black excellence has done to mental health. Mm -hmm. in people, particularly Gen X folks like me, mm -hmm. it's just like, I remember going to a college reunion and sitting down with some folks and we literally sat there and talked about what antidepressants we were on. Jeez. <laughs> like we're talking about the weather. It's like, okay, um, yeah, we all in our late forties, so what y'all on? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm <laughs> You're all trading across the table. Oh, I haven't had looks pro yet. <laughs> right. generation like the baby boomers all you know did all this stuff and mm -hmm. we're the generation that brought 
depression, anti-depression meds into the mainstream. <laughs> into the mainstream. <laughs> well, I mean, at least we're talking about it now versus just like keeping that stuff in the closet because right. um, that is another kind of pressure too, is thinking you're the only one suffering. Um, exactly. So that does, that does help. One of the other things that I think um, in terms of evaluating what success means for us as, as a black or mixed black people in particular, because that's what we're coming from, but I'm sure brown folks in general too, is why can't we be successful? Why can't we view things that we enjoy as successful? Because we seem to only be able to be upper echelon if it's something that white folks view as upper echelon, right? Like, and that just tends to be the thing like, you know, yeah, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be at the highest level of whatever fill in the blank. Um, I want to when I started my my comic book shop, I wanted to be around stuff I liked, you know, like I, I wanted to enjoy comics with other brown folks and be able to geek out. And for the period of time that I was there doing that. I got, I got to do that. And that felt like the biggest win, right? Like that felt like the biggest thing ever. And, and not only, especially here in Texas, um, my shop, we were the first black owned, Blasian owned, queer owned comic book shop in the whole state of Texas. That's so no cool. matter what, that's the upper echelon as far as I'm concerned. We Hello. were the first one. Yeah. And so now even that I've left the shop, it's still the first black owned and queer owned comic book shop in the state of Texas. Uh, and I get to be a part of that history of it, of it existing so that, right. you know, 10 years from now, hopefully there are more and you can still see my name alongside the first, you know. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, like, why can't joy be part of what makes us successful? And you started a business about something, despite having an extensive career in music and all the other things you've done in your life, there was this thing that you had joy from. And you decided, I'm going to turn this joy into business. So that's actually something I really wanted to get into because I think, especially as brown folks, but, you know, even for this being a mixed race podcast, like we specifically, our experiences are affected by uh, what we are, our ethnic, our heritage, our, our, our racial mixes, um, the way we present in a space and the yarn world, <laughs> has issues the yarn world has issues and yeah. my lens and i assume your lens too is really geared more towards the black and brown folks that are doing stuff in the yarn world right but every now and then those other folks seep in and let us know how they feel about our existence girl could i just tell you before we dive too far in and i'm ready to go i'm ready to dive <laughs> i got my bathing suit on i'm about to put my goggles on and we gonna dive <laughs> cool. But before that, I have got to tell you, I knew I had arrived on social media when somebody came for me no. on on Instagram. And I was like, I must be famous. I must be famous. You're going to make me famous, white people. Oh, my God. This woman, I will not. I, I, I know, She just had the, the, the handle itself just told me a lot. Mm. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what that was. I'm just gonna simply call this person Becky. Okay. I'll call her Becky. So I don't know. Well, I you probably have been on my Instagram enough that you've seen some of the things I've posted. And mm -hmm. after the whole thing with the Supreme Court and the Jackson Women's Health decision, I was a little hurt. Mm -hmm. A little hurt. 
because, you know, Roe was decided when I was four years old. Mm. And now I have a 24-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. So for her to have fewer issues with her reproductive freedom and her bodily autonomy than I grew up with, that's a step in the wrong direction. Right. And so I had some feelings. So I decided to have my feelings publicly. I mm-hmm. didn't do it live, but I, I recorded a video and I posted the video. Mm. And Becky saw my video. And I won't say the whole comment because it got on my nerves and I don't even want to talk about it. But the, the comment began, and I just love this shit. This is hilarious. You seem like an intelligent woman. Nope. Already. And I was like, <laughs> really? Did you just come for me, Becky? No, 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 no. So I did respond to her before I blocked her ass. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, Thank you so much for your backhanded compliment. I am an intelligent woman. I'm also very well educated. Her whole thing was like, the right to an abortion is not guaranteed by the Constitution. To which I said, under Roe it was. And by the way, your right to vote didn't show up till 1920. Mm -mm. Your right to own land, think about all the rights you have that are granted by constitutional amendments, Supreme Court decisions, and executive orders. Mm -hmm. Because I can sit here and tell you which Supreme Court decisions, executive orders, and constitutional amendments finally gave me the rights that the man I married, who was born white, straight, baptized as a Christian, and he is Mm -hmm. cisgender, he was born with every single one of those rights. Right. And a whole bunch of shit had to happen for me to have the rights he was born with. So, yeah, I mean, that lady couldn't have even had a checking account in the 50s. <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah, 70s, that's true. Like, it was 70s. later. In the 70s, a woman could not have a credit card without her husband as a signatory. Now, tell me that ain't some shit. Mm-mm. So, I let Becky know that Becky came for the wrong bitch. Mm-hmm. And I gave her 20 minutes to read my response and then I blocked her ass because I don't have time. Yeah. I simply do not have time for Becky, Karen, or anybody else Mm-mm. because why are you over here talking to me when you have a life to live? I'm out right. here with my best life. Go live yours. If you don't like what I said, don't follow me. Just don't follow me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it's one of those things that you have so little time and you chose to use that time to belittle and cause harm and da 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 on someone's post and you could have just kept scrolling now when i choose to engage on something that i find problematic for whatever reason i have time that day (laughs) and i guess that's what this person is thinking that they're doing but the way they go for it is instantly like it's that whole it's it's very much i'm hearing uh i thought you would be a credit to your race (laughs) but you disappointed me i thought you were one of the good ones i thought you were one of the good ones yeah yeah becky got on my nerves that day so i had to yeah i can't stand becky's thumb clearly stopped working on my post her little scrolly thumb yeah it clearly got broken frozen yeah so wherever oh, Becky is right now, I, I'm sure she's not listening to this podcast, <laughs> but I hope, I wish her well. I'm not going to sit here and curse nobody or say anything. 
because yeah just keep walking just keep walking nothing to see here just nothing to see here and i even said to her i was like look if you want to have a conversation about yarn i'm cool you want to come into my shop and buy my yarn Mm -hmm. i'm cool with that too your politics and mine don't mix so we're not going to be discussing this yeah I, you know, I live in a really weird part of the world, Charmaine. I live in a part of the world where you drive just outside of my town, which is very liberal. It's a, it's a very blue dot in the middle of a purple to red county mm-hmm. in Ohio. Okay. And just to give you an idea, Jim Jordan is my representative to Congress. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, that says so much, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so very much. Yeah. The man needs to find a jacket that fits. But at any rate... Um, you go just outside the boundaries of this town, you will see Confederate flags flying. Yeah. And I'm just like, first of all, y'all know this ain't the South, right? Right. Second of all, y'all know that that, that didn't win. That didn't win. That, that, they didn't win. We, we, yeah, we're the United States of America, not the Confederate States of America. So you might want to check your history because that flag means nothing. It means nothing. Why are you doing this? I, I can do a whole a whole thing on how little sense it makes that not only is the rebel flag the least patriotic thing if you're trying to be a, a U.S. patriot, but it's owned by it's co-opted by the so-called U.S. patriot folks. Like I can talk about this forever. It drives me. I can't make this math work. <laughs> the math, the, math, the logic isn't logic. It's, it's not working. It's, it's not. not. And I live in Texas, so I, you know, I I just have to drive outside of Houston. I barely have to drive outside of Houston, but I, I live in a black community, so it's a little bit different. I gotta go to a different part of town. But I feel you, man. And I think the, you and I live in like the two worst states. <laughs> I mean, you know, and part of it, too, like I've been thinking about this is like, what is my responsibility? I've been wanting to leave the country for like years, not because of all the stuff that's happening necessarily, although I can see why that motivates people out. But like because I have an international family and I've never lived outside of the United States. So I wanted to to do that. I've been prepping towards that for the last couple of years. Um, but then I see something like this going on and I'm like, damn it. Now I have to stay in Texas and just try to keep it purple going towards blue as much as possible because if these 33 states that have have made these anti-abortion laws um if they are able if all these blue folks leave to go to blue states they hand the supermajority over to the gop in the senate and then we don't need the house anymore like then it doesn't matter so then now i feel like oh damn it's my responsibility to stay in this place which like where I live, I'm fine. I live in a black community. I love the people I'm around, but I still have to contend with a terrible governor with, you know, uh, unprepared representatives. Um, th- one of my representatives is just straight up tweeted at Clarence Thomas to make sure he, he pushed about um, uh, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. So, yeah, we're it's not great. It's not great where we're at. <laughs> but... But yeah. I also feel like even though I'm one vote, you know, that I'm, it's like my responsibility to try to dig in here at this yeah. point to make sure that if I have a vote in this country, yeah. um, that I have it in this state to try to help it's not have the from majority. I'm actually going out to register voters tomorrow. 
Mm. I just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the 2020 election mobilized me uh, politically more than it just about any other mm-hmm. election ever has. And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty outspokenly political. Yeah. But I think 2020 just, that upped the ante so high that I was just like, oh shit, no. Nah. Yeah. I gotta do something. They had me on the phone making calls, getting folks like, are you gonna be voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I've never done that. Really? You did that? I have never done that before. I was just like, yeah, I'm making calls. I don't yeah. care. I'm shy. I don't care. That's I'm funny. Just... One dude told me he was voting for Kanye, and I was like, yikes. Oh. <laughs> it's just, oh. That's a hard one to convince. Having lived, have, I'm a Californian normally, and and having lived in a state where where we voted in the governor. Um, oh yeah. Like I remember that thing of being like, people can't seriously, and I, you know, I know that Reagan was also a big actor and stuff like that. But when I was a child and Reagan got in, I I didn't have any context. I was a child. I I didn't understand the repercussions of Reagan until way later. Um, but when I saw this coming for for the governor, I was like this is ridiculous because it's just going to get worse like there's if someone who first of all for a very uh pro-american party to elect a non-american born governor who doesn't have the opportunity to even be a president in this country that's very interesting because governor is usually a pathway in that direction um, but that he was who he was and that the people that were voting weren't political they were just like what is arnold they're fans. Yeah. And then that leads us to Asterisk 45. He's a reality TV star and a terrible business person, but he's funny to us on TV. You know, um, the second I knew that he was, that he got the primary, like once he got his primary, mm-hmm. I went straight and, and changed out my IUD. I was like, I, I, I wish I, I knew that it would expire in his term. And I felt like that was one of the first things that were going to go. So I, I got there like in right in October, right before the the nomination, right before the um the actual vote, right. yeah. and I was like, Whoop. <laughs> let's go ahead, let's go ahead yeah. and switch this out so I can get five, so I can get at least through his first term if he was going to be a two term president. Um, and then yeah, so that I, I ended up doing that again just last year too, to just be like, you know what? Because we don't know what's about to happen with the Supreme Court and stuff like that, so. Uh, yeah, the, the way in which I think, cause I've always been very political too. Like, um, you know, I've, my first election was the second term of, of Clinton and, um, I was fairly informed as informed as a 17 and a half year old can be at that time and stuff like that. I, I felt good about what I was doing and voting. Um, but yeah, now it's just like, oh gosh, even if I leave the country, I need to make sure my residency is here in Texas, that I maintain um, my residency and my ability to vote in this state because damn, even though I'm just one person, it's just, wow. I lived in New York for many years. So when I left New York to move to Ohio, folks were like, why are you moving to Ohio? I'm like, they need Democrats more than y'all do. True. Y'all are going to be Democratic. You're just going to vote for Democrats. The state's going to go blue. Yeah. And you just need more spaces uh, like that. And Ohio went blue for the two, you know, we voted yeah. Obama the two terms right after I moved here. So I was mm-hmm. like, you're welcome. You can, it, it shows that you can make those differences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and I knew a couple of people who moved to Atlanta but during the Stacey Abrams run too, like prior to, to try to, to try to be helpful in that, in that case. And we all know what happened there. 
Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think it is important and, you know, it's, it's a weird burden to, to take on, to, to feel the need to take on. But like, if you're in a blue state, get your ass to a red state and vote, I, like yeah. move, move there and vote. Move it. A purple state, yeah, exactly. Move like move, it, move the, the move it to the blue because that that stuff will make such a huge difference over time. Because if they think this is where it ends, this this uh this is not where it ends. I mean, they're already showing what they they have coming down next. I mean, Clarence Thomas said the quiet part out loud. He did, and he has been for them from jump. You know, mm-hmm. like his entire life path shows us this not even just him getting in the supreme court but his entire life path shows us who he is and that's Uh, very hard to grapple with yeah i mean because at the one at one point you you want to see him as part of the legacy of the supreme court you know he was appointed to replace the very first yeah yeah black justice i mean thurgood marshall i mean he needs to be like on church walls painted as a saint (laughs) i mean that man was out there just i mean you want to talk about doing things that were good for for us as a community us as a group of people in this country and everything he did and and then to be yeah i I mean it must be how obama feels too like after you know after he gets replaced who he gets replaced by i'd be like what did i even what was my purpose here? Like, you know, it, it must feel immediately disappointing. Yeah. Um, like, and I, I'm not saying Obama was the best either. Going backwards. What yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was my thought too. Like the day that the decision came down, it was like, nothing says progress, like back going backwards. Like it doesn't make any sense that this kind of stuff happens. Like it doesn't make sense. Cause this is just one in, in, of many, many things that can derail the direction uh, of this country. But um, the only thing I think we can hope, hope for at this point, Charmaine, and um, I know we've gotten far afield of what we <laughs> talk about, but I'm just gonna, I don't mind the meander. <laughs> it, works. it works. We can we can always circle back. We, work we can always circle back. <laughs> but, um, sometimes it takes something like this mm-hmm. to really jumpstart people to mobilize, to make progress. Yeah, Sometimes it takes something like this for folks to go, oh, hell no. Yeah. Just, you think you're safe. You think it's not possible. I mean, I, I, how many times have I heard this? There's no way they're going to elect Bush Jr. No way. Boom. Oh, you yeah. know, there's no way they're going to elect Trump. Boom. There's oh. no way they're going to overturn abortion. Boom. You know, like it's just you just can't feel safe. And and see this is this is something that I think um does bring it back to to people like you and me is um we're we're hovering in this world as as black and mixed black folks where we get to see how often the thing you can't believe happen. Yes. Happens. It is a it is very much a part of our experience, um, just just living everyday life. So none of this should be surprising. Like none of this. I am surprised by very, very little. I am Mm -hmm. shocked, but I am rarely surprised. Right. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, I, 
you know, you want to say the words because it's part of our culture to say, I can't believe this happened, but you can, you just, mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, but this doesn't feel real, but it is. And, and this has been, um, this has been an experience that we have a lot. Um, and it's just, it's just the rest of them that are starting to pick up on, on this being a thing. And so I think we are right. I think in these moments where you don't feel safe, those are the things when you find out you're not as safe, I guess is what I mean. If, when you find out you're not as safe as you thought you were, right. that's when you mobilize and start to make change. And unfortunately a little too, little too late type of thing, but you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, let's see. I mean, look at what happened in Sri Lanka right now, over a hundred thousand people, protests in front of their their president's uh pa palace they they got him to resign okay. um and then and then they went wild after they after they made that happen and some of that is kind of funny um but at <laughs> least they were <laughs> there was a pool party at the at the mansion um but at least what their motivation was was you know there is criminal economic financial things happening we are starving we can't eat we can't pay our bills um this is not working versus I don't want to wear a mask. And an orange person told me that they stole the election. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> at, least they had, at least they had facts behind them in their, in their thing. But yeah, like we, yeah. we definitely would. And until we can, until we can be an entire united front, I don't know how we make the change that places like Sri Lanka are able to, right. to see potentially happening coming down the pipe. Um, I have a lot of faith in, in folks my kids' age. I have a lot of faith in, in women like my daughter. Who, mm. I mean, she's just like, nah, this is bullshit. We, are, we, we need to do this. We need to do that. And I see so many kids. I call them kids. They have my age, whatever. Yeah. I, you know, they're out here changing stuff. They're out here speaking out. They're in the streets. They're making themselves heard. Mm -hmm. in ways that even my generation didn't so yeah i have a lot of faith because i think they can change things and i think they won't sit down until they do change things yeah i think the I, first time i started noticing that was the the kids that um after the shooting in florida in the high school in florida was at douglas Parkland, Marjorie Parkland. Stone, douglas high school when Parkland. when those kids started to, and they, you know, they were under 18 and they, you know, some of them and, and they were out there um, with all that frustration and anger that a lot of us were feeling, but they were out there. I was just like, yeah, they're built different because I mean, I grew up in Long Beach during the time of the LA uprisings and stuff like that. We had stuff happen right in our neighborhood and that wasn't the same thing. Like what we did wasn't the same thing. Um, the way we didn't have the kind of access, I think maybe that they, that they have learned in the 20 years, 24 or five years since the internet became public to other regular people. Like I didn't have access to the internet until I was 22. So um, like, you know, they, they seem to get earlier that they have a voice. And I think it's amazing that they are doing that kind of stuff. They had um, also grown up in a world where there had been active shooter drills in school. Yeah. I mean, I, I had my daughter the year before Columbine happened. Oh, okay. So it's her entire my life. My children yeah. have grown up going to school for active shooter drills and lockdowns. Yeah. All of this stuff. And so this has just been a different way of looking at the world. We yeah. Than we, we have. We didn't have, yeah. 
Yeah, I had had fire drills and earth drill drills. (laughs) Earthquake drills. (laughs) That's what I had. Exactly. Like a tornado drill, a fire drill, you know, that kind of like natural disaster stuff. Yeah. It was never, you know, I was teaching in a school the first time. They were like, okay, we have an active shooter drill. I'm like, we have a who? A what? (laughs) And they're like an active shooter drill. And they're they're teaching me how to interact with the kids. They're Mm -hmm. just like, okay, the lights go off, the doors get locked. Yeah. Everybody has to stay low and quiet so they can't see you from the windows and the doors. And I was just like, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I was a. I was an HR manager at a, uh, at a private school uh, before I moved to Texas. And we had two active shooter drills while I was there. And I was fucking terrified. Hello. Knowing it was a drill, but going through the motions that they told us to do. Hear the alarm, lock the door, turn off the lights, go on, close the blinds, go under your desk, the whole thing, right? And then my team, the people that, that were on the safety team, they came through and they banged the doors and jiggled them as a way just to test and see if you did what you were supposed to do. And knowing it was coming, I still was not prepared for the way I felt. That's true. And and I was 42 years old and we're doing this with as young as kindergartners. And I was like, how are you explaining to them? Because even though I get what's happening, I can't process well what, what I, the feelings that I was feeling in that drill. And you're going to tell me that a developmental kindergartner is going to understand what's going on. First of all, getting kindergartners quiet and all that other kind of stuff. Forget about all that kind of stuff. But and then even the older ones, the the fourth graders, the sixth graders, how are they responding to the idea that someone could come on this campus with a gun and your teachers are telling you, okay, pretend that someone is here with a gun. You kidding me? The, those drills themselves are traumatizing, let alone if it actually does happen. And, and if you think about Uvalde, mm-hmm. those kids were trained for that. They mm-hmm. understood that. And I remember being shocked yeah. at how many of those kids, eight, nine, 10 years old, called 911. I'm thinking, first of all, these kids are a little young to have cell phones. That too, right. But Okay, apparently we're doing this That's now. the world now. Ah, yeah. <laughs> that's the world we're in. You have an eight-year-old with a cell phone. And the fact that these kids knew, okay, we're in an active shooter drill, or, or not an active shooter drill, an active shooter situation, mm-hmm. I'm going to call 911 on my cell phone. Yeah. That, to me, was mind-blowing. The idea that these kids have been so well-trained mm-hmm. that this is how it rolled out. And it still didn't save their lives. And still, that, no. that hurt. Yeah. Girl, like I said, we could talk forever. No, we really could. I, <laughs> I was starting to think, and I was like, oh, man, actually, this is probably, this is a whole, a whole another thing that can, can get down into. Um, and, yeah, it's just. There's so much intersectionality mm-hmm. with who we are as, as women of color, mm-hmm. of of mixed heritage or, or whatever, however you want to look at us and the way we see the world and and how these things affect us. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of women my age who've never heard a gunshot. Mm. I remember my grandmother picking me up and running mm-hmm. from the ice cream store because some folks got to shooting. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, 
being being a person who has lived in these different spaces and and trying to explain to people in the wider spaces what your experience in the blacker spaces is yeah. is so trippy because I was hearing people women my age who are like oh those poor children and the, yeah. the gunshots and I don't understand and my what if that happened to my baby and blah 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 and I'm looking at them going you have no idea how many yeah. times kids heard gunshots before that day it's just regular life. Yeah. Like I grew up in Long Beach. That was just regular ass life. Um, my earliest memory of having to run for any reason was a black family day picnic at a white school, actually. <laughs> but like it was a black family day picnic. We were we were on the campus of UC Davis, which is a very white town. And um, uh, there were gunshots somewhere. And we all had to run and we didn't know where we're running. We had, my family ended up hiding behind a, a tree. Don't know if we were hiding in the right direction or not. Mm. Um, but we basically were there until someone sounded some kind of alarm that said they found what happened or they dispersed or whatever. Everybody go home. Um, and that, that's my earliest memory of something like that. Multiple, mm. multiple memories of things like that. That's just the right. first one that I remember. Um, and to hear like how casual some people are about, you know, like, they're fine. They're kids. Kids bounce back. Yeah, but should we have to? You know, you know, when I tell, when I have told, and don't know why I have done this in the past, but I don't really do it anymore. But when I have allowed myself to share my upbringing with white folks, like coworkers or whatever it is, and they say things really like, I, I don't even know how you're standing. I wouldn't be able to handle it. And then I'd be like, yeah, you wouldn't. Because you're not you're not raised with resiliency the way we are, and it fucking su the worst compliment to us is how resilient you are. I don't want to be resilient. I don't want to be strong. I don't want to bounce back. I want to be able to grieve. I want to be able to be angry. I want to be able to have a an actual natural reaction to trauma experiences rather than having to tamp that down for the comfort of other people. And, um, and I don't know how to do all, I don't really know how to do it. I kind of have learned, I've been taking, I've been going to therapy, I've been doing all this stuff, whatever, but I don't know how to do that to the degree that I will ever be casual about kids will resilient, they'll bounce, they'll bounce back. I'm constantly wondering how kids, having been a kid that grew up in, in craziness too, how do they conceive of cops went in and took their kids but didn't let their parents come and get them. And then a guy shot up their school anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like how, when is that going to process? Right. When do you grow up and get past that? Yeah. You don't. Yeah. There's so many things. I mean, mm -hmm. there's things even my own mother said to me that I still am not past as a 44 year old woman thinking, how did she tell me that having been through what she went through? How did she tell me basically the same types of things that she was experiencing as a child? And I, I can't, I, I don't understand it. Yeah. Looping it back in as much as I can to, <laughs> to what we were talking about earlier and like determining space for us um, to do things. I mean, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? This is our life. We experience this type of stuff. We're right. living in this. So why can't I open a comic book shop? Why can't you open a yarn shop and just be 
existing. And why is that not okay? And why is that not okay? Yeah. And why I, do you have to divorce yourself from any political opinion you have of any social issue or opinion yeah. that you experience? Because now you are a shop owner. That white people might end up in at some point. And you know, part of part of owning this space is not just about. I mean, yeah, I love yarn. There's a ton of yarn in the shop. <laughs> Life is beautiful. You know, I get to I get to talk to people that I've only ever read about on Instagram or Facebook, and I get to you know say, hey, can I be one of your retailers? All these mm -hmm. really cool things. It's like, I've met a lot of famous musicians and that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting to meet famous names in a different industry. And now mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. But um, the whole concept behind all of this, aside from the yarn, which mm -hmm. yes, it's a yarn shop. Right, right. Was about inclusivity. Because mm -hmm. it's in your name. Exactly. It's for you, an inclusive fiber community. Mm -hmm. Not just a yarn shop owned by a black chick, mm -hmm. an inclusive fiber community. And my ball of yarn is a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Intentionally. I designed the logo for my shop. Everything about the shop is my vision the way I wanted it to be. And I was very intentional in the language on my website. Mm -hmm. I'm very intentional about all of this. And not in a way that in, not in the way that you pander to people, but mm -hmm. in a way that says, I have heard so much crap about shut up and knit. Mm -hmm. uh, black people shouldn't work with fiber because there are no sheep in Africa. That is a real thing I saw. Wow. In <laughs> that, oh that was some shit. I was just. I'm still floored by that. Note. What? Yes. That Just, one actually know, surprises me. I don't know how I, that one is surprising, but wow. I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Good. Good job, man. So <laughs> I wanted to be completely intentional about everything. Yeah. First hashtag in, in anything that I put on Instagram is, you know, hashtag four underscore you. Mm -hmm. Second one, every time, doesn't matter what I'm posting about, hashtag black lady yarn shop. Mm. Black if lady you, yarn shop. Black lady black yarn lady shop. <laughs> if you follow me and you have looked at any of my posts and you have not seen that hashtag and it has not told you exactly who I am, mm -hmm. you can't read Right, right, right. I am showing you who I am. It's right there. It's baked in. And I'm always looking for ways to rep people of color, mm -hmm. women, queer folks. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for ways. Like if I if I have folks who come in and, and they, you know, they identify in a way that I'm not as familiar with. I ask questions and I try mm -hmm. to be very open and say, mm -hmm. excuse me, I don't mean to offend you. Are you over 65? Because I offer a discount to my seniors. Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh yeah, I'm over 65, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And that's it. Excuse me, what are your pronouns? Because mm -hmm. I don't like to misgender people. Right. I'm not really good at remembering. 
but I'm yeah, I'm it's a learning process. It's mm-hmm. really important. And people like, if I don't know how to pronounce your name, I will ask you and they'll go, oh, it's okay. And I go, no, it's not. Names are important. I believe that you deserve to be called what you tell me your name is. Mm-hmm. Because I want to be called what I tell you my name is. It's the whole Kwanzaa, Kuju Chagulia, self-determination thing. I have the right to tell you what my name is and expect you to call me that. Mm-hmm. And if I have that right, you have that right, because that is a human right. If you want to be identif- identified as they, them, I need to remember that because it's your right to be called by the pronouns that you determine are yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have tried very hard to not seem like I'm pandering, but to be very intentional about how I behave. And I've had quite a few folks come and tell me, I saw your logo. I read your website. I knew I would be safe in your store. Nice. Girl, you're going to have me crying up here. I know. <laughs> I can feel it too. I was like, I've had moments like this. So I know what you're talking about. And I, I can feel in those it, moments. It blew my mind. I yeah. have had people come into the store and cry. Just yeah. cry. Black women, young black girls in their early 20s, late teens. Mm-hmm. Queer people exploring their identity and trying to figure out where they are for themselves. Mm-hmm. Just come in and just, I just smile and go, hey, I'm Lisa. How you doing? This is my yeah. shop. You, should, you know, look around. If you have any questions, let me know. Thank you for coming. I'm not trying to, yeah. you know. And I have intentionally put yarn in the shop at a wide range of price points. Mm-hmm. because I want somebody who doesn't necessarily have a lot of means to be able to come in and get a $7 ball of yarn that they can crochet with. Right, right. And there are yarns I don't carry because I know if somebody sees this yarn and the price I would have to put on that yarn, mm-hmm. it would make them feel like they don't belong. Yeah. So I'm not going to put that in my shop because I don't have to. I have other things I can put in the shop. Right, right. I've collected yarn from the community. I have a big thing coming up in August. Um, There's a thing here in Oberlin called Second Saturdays, and you have these big events, all the different businesses. And so uh, last Saturday's event was a trunk show. This coming uh, Second Saturday in August, I don't remember what day it is, I'm going to have a big community event where if you have knitting needles or crochet hooks you're not using, drop them in this bin. Oh, cool. Books about fiber that you're not using, drop them in this bin. If you have yarn you're not using, drop it in this bin. Okay. People to bring stuff and make yeah. it. Because I have a big collection of yarn. If people want to take lessons, I want to be able to give you the yarn if you can't afford buying. If you can't afford it. That's awesome. I, I think um, that inclusive, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about because in, in my comic book shop, there would be these moments of like, and the go-to stories I have is like the little girl that came in with Afro puffs and there's a character called moon girl and devil dinosaur. She's a, she's, she's got little Afro puffs. She's got this gigantic red dinosaur that lives with her in Harlem. And so like everybody in Harlem knows the dinosaurs there, the girl's the smart, one of the smartest people in the Marvel universe. She, um, she's very technical and sciencey and STEMI. She's like, I, I love this character. And I had a little girl come in and I was just like, hmm. So I just like casually like turn out a, a book, you know, like and be like, hey, have you seen Moon Girl? And then she she sees it and she's like, Daddy, that looks like me. And I just 
like I wa- I like I looked up because I don't like to cry in front of people and I looked up and I'm like, oh, let me go check over here real quick so that I can tear up. Um, but it was that moment. It's moments like that. You know, I've had kids come in like I had a kid come in and said that he like his his aunt or mom said you look like Miles and he's holding a Miles book. And when you have those moments of someone who feels safe or feels represented, um, we would also get some queer kids that would come over from another town. They, they had, they had heard about us. So they came in, but they didn't talk. We didn't talk about anything. We just felt the vibes. And then as they're leaving, they're like, thank you, you know, all quiet and stuff like that. And those moments, like, I mean, they're crushing because I, I hate that it's necessary to make a space to make pe- marginalized people feel safe. That being said, I'm so glad that I was a safe space, yes. that I created a safe space yes. for someone in that moment, whether it's the podcast, which has happened, same type of thing, gotten messages about um, how people have felt listening to the show, the comic book shop, seeing black and brown queer folks out there doing it and being nerds you know that's not something a safe thing that we're normally allowed space also quotation fingers um to be in and in the yarn community the same thing like i've i've had people say oh i didn't know and they're trying to figure out what to call me brown mixed black you know i didn't know other people knitted as if it's something that was exclusively created by white people and that multiple cultures don't have some form of yarn and or weaving work (laughs) everywhere around the world world. indigenous communities that we have essentially killed off right that far earlier white folks and all sorts of stuff well before well before um so yeah so being able to make a space and and having those missions in place that are about like this is safe this is inclusive, this is comfortable. And I think price points are a huge part of that inclusivity, right? Because yeah. we still have, you know, the discrepancies of, of you know, e- economic structure and stuff like that. That's always, that is at play. It has always been at play. So there people- There is a wealth gap and there is a wage gap. Mm-hmm. And black women or brown women, a lot of the time are- affected by both of those things in yeah. the most negative ways yeah yet a lot of us are the ones who are like oh i want to make this for my grandson yeah. i want to make this for my cousin or my niece or my nephew or whatever yeah we're the ones who are the handcrafters the ones yeah. who make things and we're the ones who quite often have the least least access yeah absolutely so i've i've been trying to do outreach to different churches just to, mm-hmm. and, and, and places where there are older communities and just go, Hey, y'all come on over to my shop. Or if you want, I can come to you. And you know, it's early days. I've only been in business today. Actually is my third, my three month anniversary. Mm-hmm. Been nice. three months today. Happy month anniversary. Three um, month anniversary. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's starting to come together. More and more people are hearing about me. My my craft nights are awesome because nice. I mean we have everybody like you look it's like a damn rainbow I love it we're all in this room together and we're all doing stuff and we're all talking and we're not just being careful in our speech tiptoeing around mm-hmm. each other. we're talking about real stuff that's what I miss actually because I used to go to Stitch and Bitch a group called Stitch and Bitch when I was in Massachusetts and I I haven't been able to recapture that feeling ever since. 
I've tried to go to a couple of different places. Well, I tried to go to a couple of different places in LA. One place in particular, when I walked in, the person said, do you know that this is a yarn shop? And I was like, uh, yep. And then I turned around and walked out <laughs> because I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't understand that. Somebody actually said that to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah, exactly no. where it's at and I won't go back to it. But I um, you know this is a yarn. I mean, yeah. what gave it away? The yarn in the window? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't, I'm standing next to uh, a turnout, you know, that has yarn next to it. And I was like, what did this person think? Did they think I was going to ask for a bathroom? Did they think I was just, okay, even if I'm just browsing, who cares? Right. Who cares what kind of shop it is? I walked in it. I'll walk yeah. around. But what they did was I was looking for something very specific that I saw they had on their website. So I would have bought that thing. Instead, I went online and never shopped there. So, yeah, I'm one customer that they potentially lost. But, you know, like, yeah, it, it was yeah. so immediate. I had barely gotten in. I had I like walked in. I think the door was probably still in the process of closing behind me. And the person said, do you know that this is a yarn shop? And I said, yep. And then I turned around and walked out. So I, yeah. So like, I haven't been able to capture that sensation of like being in an, a, a fairly inclusive group. I mean, I did, my group did have problems. The white people at least three times a year would ask why they can't say the N word um, because they had black friends uh, and stuff like that. And we'd have to school them on it. There was a few of us that would, <laughs> a few of us black ladies that had to, that had to explain like the problem is not that you can't say the word. The problem is that you want to say the word. So let's get into that. Right. Um, and then, you know, I would disappear and then I'd come back because certain people I liked and things like that, blah, 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 blah. So I haven't had that experience in a long time and I would like to be able to recapture that again. So, but, um, okay. But yeah. so, Paul, if you ever make your way to Overland, Ohio, which I'm sure is highly unlikely, but if it ever does happen. Well, what is it closest to? Because Cleveland. Columbus, Cleveland. Okay. So Columbus has lately become one of my higher download cities. It's working its way up. I don't know why. And I even have said it on the show, like, Columbus, explain to me. What's up? Like, where are you? Come get on the show. Like, who? how many are you are there? Because um, right. it's been ticking up lately. So I was thinking eventually when I start, I'm, I would like to tour the show when I start to do that, that I was going to end up in, in Columbus at some point, which is funny because I have a friend in Columbus. So it's not unlikely that i could end up okay. in, in ohio um well columbus is definitely... two hours away it's okay two hours door to door from from where i am that's not bad so that's not too bad so if you do make it up here please come visit my shop absolutely and please come so you can be here for our wednesday craft night because we get down in it we just talk we talk about everything and I, I've talked about my experience in yarn shops with some of these folks, and you should see these white ladies looking at me like, why they do that? That's dumb. They, and yeah, I, they don't understand. <laughs> and, or they'll just say, that is the most racist shit I've ever heard. Yeah. And you, it's not that you need the validation. It's not like I need a white person to tell yeah. me another white person did something racist, but it helps to it be helps. like, okay, so you see it too. Yeah, you see it, and you have made the conscious choice to come into my space mm -hmm. and not perpetuate it. Yeah, and that's what makes me feel good. Yeah, 
other thing is that, first of all, your story makes me want to scream. Yeah. But your story and all the other stories I've heard were the reason I started this shop. Yeah, absolutely. This is why I did this. I read all the same stuff on Instagram in early 2020 or 2019, mm-hmm. whatever year it was. That big blow up, crap. yeah. The big blow up. I read all that crap just like everybody else. And my idea was not to sit there and spend 24 hours a day explaining to people why they're wrong on the internet. Right, right. Was to say, I want to change this. I want to create a shop. I want to create a space where you feel at home, you feel seen, you feel represented, you feel happy, you feel like you're not being watched, mm-hmm. you feel like you can pick up the yarn, you can squish the yarn, you can sniff the yarn, whatever it is you feel like you need to do to make your decision, you can do that. And when people come in my space, I very specifically say, I have these bags made by these women-owned companies. I mm. have this made by a woman of color. I have this nice. made by a queer man. I want nice. people to know I picked that because it's a high-quality product mm-hmm. made by a community you will never see unless we put it in the store. Yeah. So I'm putting it in the store. I love That's that. It makes me so happy. <laughs> You know what? That's how it. That's how it gets done. If yeah. we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And I'm tired of waiting for somebody else to do to it. do it. Yeah, I could do. That's it. the thing, because we're part like we're, we're we're black folks, so like we're part of we have an understanding of hustle culture and things like that. It's just a part built into our community. We know yep. how to get stuff done. The yep. thing is crossing over to how to get stuff to get stuff done in front of everybody instead of just in front of us. And that's been, I think a big thing of why I'm so excited and motivated by black women owned companies and stuff like that now, or, or how for anything that I need to purchase, I'm like, okay, first, before I go to Amazon, before I go to whatever, can I find a company that is black owned or queer owned or, you know, woman owned, whatever first, if I can find that great. That's where I'm going to put my dollars. But if I can't, then then I, you know, I understand the convenience of Amazon is hard to fight sometimes or whatever. But but Definitely having so access. Don't need my money. Mm-mm. I'm sorry. No. I, I, I will just about go to the ends of the earth before I give just Jeff Bezos one of my dollars. He but made that's a me penis rocket. Because he just does not. He doesn't need me. Yeah. He got other people. Let him he has other people. have yeah. other people money. But I'm like you. I just. It, it became really, really important to me to hold up people who won't get held up. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's so important. Yeah. And and to know, like, like in the comic world, when we would find books that were written by, that were written outside of the main, you know, top two, whatever, independent books, some of the most emotional books that I've ever read in comics were independent, were created by queer folks, were created by Black women, things like that. Um, and when I get to expose other people to those, those moments of them going, wait, you know, like comics aren't all about superheroes. So you might not like superheroes, but you might like fairies, werewolves, um, regular day in the life stuff, coffee shop owner books. Like there's just things that are out there. You can get anything. And, um, and being able to expose people to that 
and let them know that there is a way to access it that does reflect you, I think is important. And I think um, like the way I felt the first time that I was knitting. So the very first black woman owned yarn shop I ever um, purchased from was Lady Dye Yarns in Massachusetts. Um, I, I, for some reason, the sensation of the yarn I, I might be built up in my head. It hit different while I was knitting and I felt very special about it. I ended up sending her a DM and just being like, this is not important, but here's how I felt. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, thanks for doing this. Like, here's how I felt knitting on yarn that I know you dyed that came from your shop. I don't live in Massachusetts anymore, but I, I, I remember hearing about you. So that's why blah, 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 blah. And at the time, I don't think she had a storefront. I think uh, she didn't get a storefront until after I had left the state. And so they, and I was just like, it just opened like last year. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, I remember them being online for a while and that's how I accessed them. And so I was just like, I just, it just made me feel good that knowing that this thing I was making so much of it was brown. So many aspects of it came from a black yeah. woman. I was a mixed black person knitting it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, she wrote me back and we went back and forth for a while. And and so every now and then I do comment on something that she does and she'll message. Sometimes she's messaged me and she's like, oh, how you been? And the fact that like not only that she engaged, but that she remembered me yeah. later was also like something that felt extra special. Uh, right. Lola Bean is the second company that I ended up finding that, um, you know, to support. And then that's how we get connected. And it just it just feels so much different. I don't know why it's important, uh, except that I don't get to spend my money where I know it's going to circulate within my community right. very often. You know, I mean, because even here living in the third ward of Houston, which is historically black community, some of the places I have to go to pay money, even in this community, isn't going to stay in this community. It's going to go to HEB, which is a you know conglomerate. It's not going to go to here. My landlord is not from this neighborhood. So my money is not going to him and staying in this neighborhood. But like the cookie store down the street with Miss Ella, Crumbville, I know that that dollar is staying in this community because she's from this community. You know, things like that. And my, my comic book shop also, my former comic book shop, uh, same thing. Like, um, well... I lived here. My business partner lived in a different part of Houston, but it was very much important part of Houston to him. That's why we built the shop here. Right. Um, you know, the goal was to make it a space that people in this community felt like they could be at home. And I think that 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 feels different, you know, like because they could still go to the big guy and get anything they want or they can wait a week if we don't have it. And we'll get it in stock for them. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, and yeah. they know where it's the money is spent. And I think that I think that is significant. And um, I mean, I'm glad that you have a really diverse clientele that is paying attention and not just you know whatever. But um, yeah, it's, but it's for the people, incredible. yeah, it really, really is. And to go back to the the point you just made about Adela and Lola Bean, um. I think I kind of came back on your radar when she invited me on one of her lives. Yes. Yeah. And this was hilarious. I was not at all expecting it. I was not expecting it at all. I was about to teach a viola lesson. Oh, right. Actually, no, I was in the middle of teaching a viola lesson. I was teaching a, a girl remotely. Mm -hmm. And I saw my know the direct message in my instagram she she was just like ma'am you better get you on this live with me <laughs> and i was like who's supposed to know this account i just thought that's <laughs> I funny the joke. and then finally i was like 
and I, you know, eventually I became convinced it actually was her. That's and, funny. Um, I got on the live and she remembered, it was very similar to your story with Diane. I heard her on your podcast. I reached out to her because I love the story she told about how she started the business and all of that. And it really resonated with me. And I think one of the things that's important is when you see somebody do the thing mm -hmm. that's even close to what you want mm -hmm. and it resonates and you feel it, that you be able to reach out and just, even just to say, thank you. You don't have to ask for anything. You don't have to, whatever, just say, thank you. And I thanked her for the interview and I reached out to you at the same time, which is how you ended, ended up interviewing me. But I, I reached out to her and I said, look, I have this idea. It's crazy. <laughs> but I, I was really inspired by what you did. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. And I told her what the idea was. And she's like, yeah, you can do it. You got this. She didn't have to write back to me. She didn't I was have some to. rando. She mm -hmm. did not know me. I could have been a serial killer. She had no clue who I was. Yeah. But she took a minute because she saw a black woman reach out and she mm -hmm. reached out. Yeah. And then when she saw everything, I mean, you, you heard the whole back and forth. She yeah. saw that I was opening and she remembered it. Yeah. And reached back out to me to feature me. Yeah. And that has had a tremendous effect. That's on amazing. My I love, and I love that. She didn't have to do that. No. She did not have to do that. But, you know, we all have to, I remember two things about a network marketing thing I did back in the 90s. We will not discuss this. <laughs> all right. But one thing was each one teach one. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it was just like, I had a question. She answered the question. Yeah. If somebody asked me the question, I'd be like, yeah, it's my turn. I get to yeah. teach you now. Teach I get to yeah. get to your question. I get to be the one mm -hmm. who answers the question now. And hopefully that person, I will have planted this, the seed and they'll answer the next one. And this is how we this build. This is how we build. Best. Yeah. We build success. We build a history of not only being in these spaces and doing these things, but mm -hmm. even if we're not the first helping somebody else do it the next time and then helping yeah. somebody do it the time after, after that. that. This is how we build a legacy. This is how we put ourselves on the map. Yeah. And if this isn't success, Charmaine, I don't know what success right. is. I don't. I, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes things are hard. And yes, yeah, sometimes sales are slow. And, and yeah. sometimes I kick myself and I go, what the? What the hell was I thinking? Yep, 100% been there. <laughs> been there. I'm never going to make money. And you know, it's amazing. It goes from a little tiny thing to, I'm never going to make any money. Yeah. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. You know, never in a mighty long time. Yeah. And then two days later, you're on cloud nine. Yeah, this huge day. Yeah. I, it's uh, a huge clientele thing. So I've experienced that too. It's so crazy. It is. It's a roller coaster. And my husband used to work retail and he was just like, buckle up. Yeah. Oh no, no, retail is wild. It is crazy. It is wild. A trip and a half. But when you learn to ride those waves and you learn to figure out who's for you and who's not for you, mm -hmm. and who your real clients are, who are really there to support you, and who your not so real clients are, who are just here to say, "Hey, I bought something from a black lady." 
Yeah. Um, you start to understand what the process is. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm still a baby in this particular space. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, you know, I'm not a baby. I, yeah. That's nice. So I'm still trying to go from being in an industry where I very much had to conform mm-hmm. in a lot of ways as, as a woman, originally as a young person, and then as a new mom, and then, you know, yeah. all the ways in which we as Black women have to fit into spaces where we are sexualized, fetishized, all mm-hmm. these things to a situation where I'm calling the shots and I can essentially just present. Yeah. This is me. And I'm not used to that. I'm not used to being me yeah. in a professional setting. That's an interesting aspect of, do- of doing stuff like this. Like when you become the person. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't realize that that's going to happen. You don't really conceive of that part of it. You think, you know, I've just opened a shop. Right. People are going to come buy the stuff. The shop is the thing. Same with me. The podcast is the thing. The shop was the thing. Whatever right. what the things were like. Uh, I would even say we, meaning like the shop being the show and stuff like that. Right. You are what you've created. Yeah. The line between Charmaine as person and Charmaine as podcast and business. Yeah. Yeah. It's blurred to the point it, of it gets real blurry, yeah. You know, it's like a different part of your personality. You're just like, yes. right now I'm militantly mixed Charmaine. Next time I'm blurred comic Charmaine, or whatever the, right. the things are that we're doing. Yeah, it's a it's a weird moment, and you can't prepare for it. That's when you understand how personal mm-hmm. something like this is, which is why I think right. our our level of success, like what, what we're talking about, of how we need to learn how to measure, relearn how to measure success in yes. what we're doing, yeah. is. Maybe not making millions and millions of dollars because we haven't picked things that'll necessarily make us super rich or anything like that. It's about impact. It's about impact. And that moment when someone shows you you've impacted them. First of all, imposter syndrome goes through the roof because you're like, no, 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 not me. I didn't. No, 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 no. It it wasn't me. (laughs) Because it feels too big. It feels unreal. It it feels insane. Um, But when you can kind of settle down into it, and understand that like what you are missing is what you created. I, I yeah. believe that so heavily. I absolutely was missing different aspects of the things that have become my businesses, my podcasting, my comic book shop. I mean, even my mask making, I was making Japanese and African and geeky masks for a period of time. I still kind of am, but it's it's not doing that well right now because people aren't wearing masks anymore. Um, <laughs> which drives right. me crazy, but it's fine. It's fine. It's not fine, but it's fine. Uh, but even that, like, I wasn't finding masks that I wanted to wear outside because they didn't, you know, they weren't speaking to me. But then I found this, like, uh, kimono fabric. Ooh. And then I made a mask out of it. And I really liked that. And then I found this Avengers fabric. And I made a mask out of that. And then I found this mud cloth fabric and yeah. Anakara fabric. And I made a mask out of that. And I felt good whenever I wore those. So different things like that. Like, even the smallest little thing that I've done. I realize how much of me I put into it. And then when it, when it's seen as other people, it is a, it is kind of validating. It's scary. Um, but it is validating to be like, Oh, I've done something. This is actually a success. The fact that someone feels represented, the fact that someone feels comfortable, that to me, I think is the biggest aspect of this whole thing. When someone feels safe around you. Yeah. 
when you Man. somebody feels about something else. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough in my, I don't want to say my previous life because it's still my life. <laughs> um, I still play. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want people to think that I don't play anymore. It's right. That I do something else now and I get to be more choosy about what I want. When to you do, yeah. Why. And I also get to be choosy about whether or not I continue to play. And I get to make that decision rather yeah. than it being made for me. Right. Um, which is great because it's, it's made me enjoy the things I do playing wise more. But the, the thing that, that I likened this to, and I'm glad I had this experience earlier in my life and career before I did this, because it prepared me for it. Um, I used to play in a, in a band with two other sisters. And our band got to open for the Indigo Girls in, in 2000. It was, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. But like, I tell people I opened for the Indigo Girls and they're like, you did what? <laughs> I've been on stage with a lot of famous people. Yeah. And I don't name drop because I think people are just going to look at me like, bitch, you lying. <laughs> Not dead. Hmm. You know, I've been very lucky. I've had yeah. a good career. So I'm opening for the Indigo Girls, and this is an outdoor venue in Albany, New York. There were 10,000 people, and they are screaming. And like one girl in the front is like, I love your dream. <laughs> I'm looking at her, and I'm like, thank you. I mean, what do you say? You know? I mean, it was a wonderful moment. Yeah. Especially like between when our set was done and the Indigo Girls hadn't come out yet. Yeah. They were swapping us, buying our CD and getting us to sign it. That's and awesome. I'm signing autographs. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let me sign this. Yeah. I mean, I almost, instead of my name, I almost wanted to sign some random bitch. Yeah. And some random, like, who am I? <laughs> I know I, the measure of times I've said, who am I to exactly. be doing this? Like of, of one of 8 billion people on this planet nearly. But they wanted, they wanted you. me because yeah. they connected with something I did. Yeah. And as insecure and imposter as I felt, mm-hmm. I also knew that it was a bad idea to fuck with that feeling for them because right. that vibe was real to them. It didn't oh. matter how it was to me. It was real. Yes. Them. Talk and about you, that for real. If you come out your mouth and you shatter that illusion, you have hurt somebody. You've hurt somebody. Yeah. And That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And I think the way in which um, black women probably in particular, but probably all women of color have, have been humbled or forced to be humbled um, in times when literally you are representing somebody in the moment, which I know is not something that white women can relate to. Like I'm, and I'm not saying that to, to be trash in any way. They literally are represented all over the place. So they don't have that. Someone looks like me thing the way we have it. Right. Um, But when you see somebody that represents even a portion of you, which is as a mixed person, I have to, I have to take the nuggets, right. I'm ambiguous in my presentation. Nobody looks like me really. So I got to take the nuggets. Um, When you get those Mm -hmm. moments, And if I'm just thinking now, if I had gotten a chance to meet certain people and I said, oh, my gosh, I see myself because of you. Thank you so much for this. And they'll be like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm just an actor, you know, or whatever the thing is, like, I'm just whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, you need a better role model than me or something like that. 
that probably would have sat with me in a pretty bad way. Um, the way that I was starting to learn that was like someone just a friend of mine just randomly giving me a money gift that was that because they were proud of the stuff I was doing. And I was like, but no, you know, like I'm just I've just pressed record on a thing. I'm having conversations. I'm just recording conversations. It's not that big a deal. Um, but the person told had told me like, shut up. <laughs> Like, you know, shut up. You're ruining the moment. I need you to understand that I don't have a way to give back what I feel that you gave me. Mm -hmm. So here's what I can do. I have money. Yes. I'm giving you money to keep doing the thing that you're doing. I have had people say that to me. I would perform and people would come backstage and just start gushing. And I would just go, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. There's better performers. There's better and, this. Yeah, I actually yeah. I don't feel real great about it. And somebody actually grabbed me by the shoulder one time mm. in, a, in a receiving line and just said, "Shut up, smile and say thank you." <laughs> don't ruin us for me. <laughs> thank you. And it hit me. I'm fucking up their experience. Yeah. Whether I like what I did or not, I took them somewhere. Yeah. They came with me on a journey. And now it's like I'm slamming the door on them. Yeah. I just belittle my You're telling them the thing they like isn't likable. That what their experience was just now. Yeah. And you're way more of a critic of yourself than other people are anyway. So you right. probably thought about one little note you didn't hit timed right, right or whatever the one thing was, and it ruined your whole set. Right. But guess what? It didn't they ruin don't it for them. need that illusion spoiled for them. Mm -mm. It th that note that I'm losing sleep over, mm -hmm. they don't give a damn. They don't care. They didn't hear it. They mm -mm. don't know about it. They don't need to know, and they don't care. They know what they and felt. If that's what it is, and that's all I can offer you, just to not shatter the illusion you have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm out here baking illusions. I'm a magic maker. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying that, but. If something I did spoke to you, resonated with you, I have to go back and remember the things that spoke to me, resonated with me, made me feel X, Y, and Z, A, B, mm -hmm. and if I've been blessed with the opportunity to do that for somebody else, yeah. if somebody else looked at me and said, I want to do what you're doing, or I love how you did that, or I had a shitty day and I came to your store and you made everything feel all right. Mm -hmm. Smile and say thank you. You don't owe them anything else. You just smile and say thank you and accept your part in what in they needed. What they needed, yeah. And let it go. They don't need to know about your process. Yeah. They don't and honestly, like, enjoy that yourself also. You yeah. know, that's the hard thing. We're so critical of ourselves and, you know, we're just taught that we can always be better. Yeah, sure, fine. You can always be better. Who cares? Because in that moment, you were the best thing. For somebody right that is so fucking hard to to get a um push through i think i am getting better at that now right. uh but that's tough and you still there's times when like freak out when you're by yourself okay fine freak out but also try to enjoy that like you have done that because yeah. there's nothing better that like literally our world is trash there's nothing better <laughs> we can do right than to like make somebody feel good you just reminded me of something. I was telling a story about my mother the other day. And I am always very, very careful about how I discuss my mom because mm -hmm. we did not have a positive relationship. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I will not disrespect her. I'm mm -hmm. not. That's not what I'm here for. 
But my mother and I had a very difficult relationship, and one of the things that made it difficult was that I never got any sort of praise from her at all. Never praise, never proud, nothing. And I was telling a story about a situation in which my mother was absolutely going out of her way to praise someone else. Mm. Even though I had done a thing that she was completely ignoring, and she was doing this in front of my daughter. Mm. And my daughter was not having it. Mm. My daughter was like, but what about my mom? What about mom? What did You know she did this thing. Aren't you happy with her? Aren't you proud of her? Mm. And my mother's response, I will never forget it. She was like, Mm-mm. and that I think is part of that little voice in your head that was yeah. like, hey, was I, it was I, it, it's dismissive. It's not even a compliment. And I mean, I don't want to overgeneralize and say that, you know, black women or black moms treat their kids like this all the time, but it was one of those quintessential my mom moments. Mm-hmm. Where Everything I had achieved up to that moment was completely wiped away by this one dismissive comment yeah. in front of my child. And I just sat there and shook my head and looked at my daughter and I said, honey, it's okay. She, she does this all the time. Mm. And it hurt. Of course it hurt. Sure. But what hurt the most was seeing my daughter experience it for me. Like yeah. on my behalf, like, well, wait a minute, you don't mother me that way. Yeah. You mother me, you you always tell me you're proud of me. You always tell me you love me. You always tell me I'm doing a good job. What's this about? Yeah. Where did this come from? And again, it's it's the it's the whole feeling of you can never rest on your laurels. You always have to be better. You're never good enough. And so I think that's one way, you know, I can't speak for all black women, but I can speak for this black woman. That's mm-hmm. how I internalize that you're never good enough because all your mama ever says is you are. Yeah. So that's another way that it just, oof, it yeah, is on you. And even, I mean, you can be making people cheer, hold up signs, wave banners, cry, all this other stuff. And still you hear that little voice in the back of your head that says you ain't shit. Yeah. That's that, so tough. That we have to we have to find a way not to get past it, but to get rid of it. Get rid of it, yeah. We have to be able to tell our children or our young youngsters who are part of our circle, you are good enough, you are worthy, you you deserve happiness. You deserve success. You deserve to define success for yourself. Self, yeah. And not have somebody else tell you, you have to do this to be successful. My mother wanted me to be a doctor. It wasn't happening. Then she yeah. Goes, Fine, you can be a lawyer then. Like a lawyer was a, and also ran. And <laughs> I didn't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be yeah. a doctor. I wanted to be a musician. I, I'm not saying this to brag. I fucking went to Juilliard. Yeah. I went to Juilliard. Do you know who was not impressed by that? <laughs> My mother. Can't win. I'm like, what the fuck do I have to do? Yeah. What do I have to do? Do I have to like go up in a rocket and walk on the moon? I think it's unlearning that we need that approval. 
you know, that's that's a hard journey. And it does take until your knees don't work anymore sometimes for that to hit, right? Like the amount of time I spent chasing um, the approval of my of my mother, but certain family members also that that raised me and stuff. And only to be like, to get their approval, I had to hide big swaths of who I was. I couldn't actually be myself. Yep. So if they were going to be proud of me, they wouldn't have been proud of who I was. They were proud of what I presented based off of what yeah. they told me I had permission to be. You said now, you're Right. Yeah. You're representative. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now I'm existing as my full self. I don't actually have any of my family present for that because of family. Uh, but like, I at least exist in a space in which I get to be my full self. I am um, doing stuff that I love. I'm talking to other people that are doing stuff that they love too. We're not competitive. We are celebratory of each other, which I think is, is one of the things that I experience in blackness that I don't experience in other aspects of my, my makeup. Although I'm getting there, I'm putting myself in more Asian spaces and, and stuff lately. And I've been starting to see, that people who are also third generation like myself or second generation like myself are um, also fighting for the same kind of approval and attention that, that I've gotten. So we're celebrating each other. Uh, I think that kind of stuff is, is undoing some of that uh, belief or that negative voice in the back of the head. Um, I still have the negative voice, had the negative voice earlier today. There have been a couple of times actually that I, I was listening to the doubt in the back of my head, that imposter syndrome that was telling me I can't do this kind of stuff. And I wasn't listening to the black and brown women that were telling me this shit that you're doing is important shit. You know, I was basically kind of being disrespectful as a friend to trust that my friends were telling me the truth. You know, I just thought, you know, you're my friend. You have to say things like this or whatever. But that isn't necessarily the case. That voice is loud. It's a loud voice. It's a the loud voice. voice that, man, it's powerful. It's loud. Yeah, it's, it's on steroids, that voice sometimes. Well, what is it they say that that part of your brain that that that's from when you were a kid is your lizard brain or mm. something? Yeah, that yeah. Brain that's just like it has no sense of time. Yeah, and it's just sitting back there going, "You're yeah. not worthy. You're How am not, I gonna fuck up your day to day?" <laughs> right, it's like you're no good. You're never going to do it. You're never yeah. going to succeed. You're never. You're never. You're never. You're never. And I have to tell myself, and I'm gonna tell you too. Never is a mighty long time. It's a bro. long time. Yeah. It's a long ass time. And eventually you have to turn never into now or never. Yeah, yeah. You have to turn it into this is my moment. Yeah. When I I had this idea and then I started to make it real and I had help and I listened and I was working in a yarn shop that's local here mm -hmm. and eventually in October they let me go and it was really funny they let me go not because I did anything wrong they let me go because they were like um girl you told me you wanted to open your own yarn shop that's why you were working here so they kicked you out the nest bit of fly baby bird exactly. that's good that was exactly what happened that's it good was time to fly yeah. And I was scared and I'm sitting here crying like I got fired. Yeah. Like I I cried like I had done something wrong, but it wasn't that. It was they were believing in oh, you. Oh, we love you and we believe in you and we believe that what you're trying to do is important. Your voice needs to be out here. 
you need to be out here. We need to see more women who of color who own yarn shops. You are doing that. Go yeah. do that. Go do that. Yeah. We're doing what we're doing and we're good at what we do. You go be good at what only you can do. Yeah. We can't do what you're doing. Yeah. You go do it. And it hurt. But it hurt because I heard the voice, you were hearing the voice more than I heard their voices. Yeah. I needed to hear them. Everything they said was positive. Mm-hmm. Everything they said was an education. It was, you can do this. We believe in you. Everything I heard was, you suck. It yeah. Happened. And so yeah. when I found my space for my store, it was by accident. It literally fell in my lap. I found it the month after I had said out loud to somebody that I really wanted to open in April. And this was in December. Mm. And so at the end of January, I found a space for so little money. I'm not even going to say it because I don't <laughs> want the landlord to know that I did this. <laughs> and it fell in my lap and all of a sudden I had a space and I was like, shit, I got to do this. I got to do this now. Yeah. They didn't want you to be so comfortable. Or you didn't try. Yep. Exactly. It's now or never. This is your opportunity. It has fallen in your lap. What are you going to say? Yeah. What are you going to do? This is put up or shut up time. Yeah. And I had to tell that little voice in the back of my head to go fuck itself. Mm-hmm. And I had to do this. And that's what happened. I found this space at the end of January. I opened two and a half months later. Yeah, I remember. So I've been, I have been charting the journey because I remember when you started the, was it the GoFundMe? It was a GoFundMe, right? There was a GoFundMe. Yes. Um, so I've been, I I've been, my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was, a, I, I've, I've been paying attention since then. I, at the time I wasn't really doing many like callback type things. We're bringing people back and stuff like that. I've done it. I've done it once or twice, but it hadn't really been um, a thing. And then when I, when I saw Adela do when I saw the live, cause I watched through the live. Well, I missed the live cause I was somewhere, but Adela tagged me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I watched it, I watched it and, uh, and I, I, you know, I was, I was interacting with it while watching it, even though right. it was, it had already <laughs> played out or whatever. <laughs> but I remember you talking about like, you found your spot, um, you had declared, and that's the hard part, declaring the data open. Cause that's what slowed me down for militantly mixed. I had the handles for militantly mixed for two years before I actually started pressing record. Um, and then I finally just had to make a date and, and yep. do that kind of stuff too. Um, so I remember you going through that part and, um, and cause at first I thought like the pandemic just slowed everything down. That's what happened with, uh, with my shop. I would have opened in 2020, but we, right. we weren't able to, we ended up opening online instead. Um, everything just seemed to slow down. It was like, man, at just when I was about to try something, you know, like, and I was yeah. wondering if you were probably going through something like that too. But when you, when you found your spot and everything ticked in, um, I was watching, you know, some of your posts were just like, I'm doing this thing, you know, like, I'm like, what am I doing? Um, yeah, it's, it's so weird. Like when you start to believe in yourself, which is kind of a sad statement to say this, but like when you go from being like your everyday version of yourself to a person that takes a shot on yourself, like the way things open up and, and it doesn't make, make it easy. It doesn't mean that the work you're doing is easy, but it makes it easier for you to keep doing the work, I guess, if that makes sense. The world um, gives you affirmation. 
Yeah, there's ways. Yeah. Not like not like a full meal of ass of affirmation, but like dog treats of affirmation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you do something and you start to feel kinda I'm not sure and then the world will go, affirmation. Yeah. Yeah, oh okay, okay, I'm good. Yeah. So the next treat, like one more thing, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually it. And like it, it, the thing is, we're human. We do need outside stimulus to tell us it's okay or to validate us. We just do. Whether it's our mixed race identity and being seen as a black person, being seen as a Japanese person, what like there's that. I am comfortable in my own mixed skin. That being said, when there's a lady who I don't know who she is, I think about her almost every day. Like five or six years ago, I was driving in a parking lot at a mall. And she starts waving me down and, and stuff like that. And I, I open the window. I'm like, you need help? What's happening? And she's like, okay, purple hair. And then she left. She dropped a ninja smoke bomb and disappeared. And uh, that's all she did is she needed to flag me down because in that moment, my purple hair, she liked it. It was she, given her life. It was given her life. And she didn't say nothing else but okay, purple hair, which again, no one compliments like black women, but like quintessential black woman compliment. Just, just we have to say something about the thing about you we love and we bounce. And that's it. And that's literally all she did. She stopped me. I, she was in such a panic. I thought she needed help. I stopped oh. my car. I rolled down my window. I was like, do you need help? And she said, she smacked my car. She's like, okay, purple hair. And then just walked away. I, I think that. about this woman all the time. I love that. I don't, I didn't need any, there wasn't anything specific besides my hair. Like I wasn't needing validation for my hair, but I just needed validation. Like, I don't know what I needed validation that day. And she just screamed she validation into my time. damn face. I think about her all the time. I always hope she has a good day. <laughs> there you go. I have I no idea who she is. Are, but God bless you, girl. <laughs> I think about her all the time. But it's things like that. It's like sometimes there's just some kind of thing on the outside that tells you like someone saw you today. Right. And that keeps you doing the thing that you're doing. And sometimes it's even more specific, you know, specifically what you are doing. Thank you for creating a safe space for me. Thank you for making me feel safe here. Whatever those types of things are. And those things are so important to keep you going. So that's why I think you need your whatever version of that is for me. It's it's my black women version of it, of just like other black women that are that are entrepreneurs that are doing something that are outside of what people view as the norm for people that look like us. Podcasting, yarn shop, comic book shop, uh, yarn dyeing, soap making, you know, like I have people that are doing all different types of things. And when when I'm slipping, I know that. I can watch what they're doing and it reminds me, keep doing what I'm doing. Or I can interact with them and be like, you know, like this is tough. And they're like, yeah, it's tough, but this is why it's important for you to keep going. Exactly. Exactly. My favorite thing in the world still is when somebody walks into the shop and says just offhandedly, Oh, I follow you on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm like, you do? Or, oh, yeah, I've been following you on Facebook since blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's yeah. like, why would anybody follow me? Why would you follow me? Yeah, I'm just regular. Yeah. I'm I know. a regular girl. But um, we are, like, we've gone way over normal time, which I yes, fully expected anyway. I have no idea how much of this will end up on the show. <laughs> but, or if I'm going to split it into two, maybe that's what I'll do. We'll see. We will see what happens. We talk a lot. We do. Uh, we're aligned in a way, so it feels good to have a conversation uh, with someone. It's like talking to an old friend, Charmaine. Yeah. Really I, 
I absolutely want to come out to your shop and maybe if you end up doing a thing with Adela, then I can show up at that thing, whatever, if that ends up being a thing. I want Adela, I want to be a part of that. Adela and Jimmy are awesome and amazing. Carrying their yarn in my shop has been a privilege. And when I am in a position to re-engage with that privilege, I will let folks know. Yeah. I mean, they put me on the map in a way that other people just weren't yeah. in to do. It's not even that they didn't or couldn't. They yeah. just they didn't have the. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. I don't want to say I'm indebted because that's like a weird vibe. But you know, you want to thank the people who do things. Yeah. You grateful for the for the kindnesses and the and the joy that people bring you in your life, and they don't mm -hmm. necessarily know it, but they do. Yeah, and the, the thing is, they. They didn't have to. They just did. Out of the kindness of their heart. That's it. And that means so much more that it's that way. Yes. Um, probably. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like I know, I know for me, if like, you know, if someone shouts me out that doesn't need to clout yeah. me, you know, like yeah. that's amazing. Why don't you tell everybody how to find your shop online, in person, Instagrams, all yeah. that stuff? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, just to recap, I am Lisa Whitfield and the name of my shop is For You and that's E-W-E because I'm corny and I like a good cheap pun <laughs> and in, an inclusive fiber community. Yes, it's a long name. You can just call me For You. That's fine. Um, <laughs> if you need to contact me to ask me any questions, it's Lisa at the number four dash E-W-E dot com. My website is for the, the, the name for, but not the number, for-ewe.com. Mm. That's my website. Everything in the shop is on the website. I do ship in the continental United States, and I love to connect with people from around the country. So please, if, you, if you're interested, go to the website, place an order. It will be packed with love and sent to you as quickly mm -hmm. as possible. Um, my Instagram is for underscore ewe, so that's at for you. There is a group on Facebook which is for you, an inclusive fiber community, and you can find that it's an open group. It's got the shop on there. You can you can check stuff out there as well. I am a huge Instagram junkie. I post on there a few times a day usually. So you'll see me. I'm probably going to say some political stuff. Um, I'm getting more comfortable with being fully myself in, on mm. social media. Yes, I want customers. Yes, I want to appeal to customers. But I, I also want to be me. Yeah. I don't want to send my representative for this. I really want to be fully myself. And I think I'm okay. So nice. I feel good about it. Well, I'm so excited to... to watch that you've come to this part of your journey i mean we met three years ago on online and this wasn't what we talked about so to see that it only took this amount of time for you to get there um and make this change for you i'm excited for you i'm um proud Thanks. to to just watch it like just watch it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need anything more than that, I guess, um, than to, to follow you on the Instagrams and watch it happen. And um, and I think more than anything, what you're doing, whether you understand it or not, has a, a way bigger impact than you'll probably ever see or understand. And I hope that you can sit in that and enjoy that versus 
let that little lizard voice tell you otherwise. And uh, it's a big responsibility, and I'm trying yeah. to handle it responsibly, not and and understand that stuff like that's not about me; it's about other people. And yeah, you want to, you just want to be careful and gentle with other people and treat them with respect and love and kindness because that's yeah. what all of us deserve. So yeah. that's how I'm choosing to look at it. So thank you. You've given and... me a lot of opportunity to talk, and I, I first of all, you're awesome. Thank this you. is going to be a mutual admiration society. You are awesome. <laughs> I love your podcast. I love that this is how you and I got to really meet each other and talk. And I think you're an amazing person. And just like what I'm doing is making an impact and a difference, so is what you're doing. It, it made an impact and a difference in my life. And so I thank you for what you do and for allowing me to be a small part of it. So thank you. thank you. No, I appreciate that as well. And for everybody out there, don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. And I think this is probably going to be the last episode before I go on hiatus. So mental health hiatus for August. I take a break, although this will not be a break because I'm going to be traveling for four and a half weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's going to be crazy, but it's supposed to be my mental health hiatus. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but we'll be back in September and ready to be our mix ourselves some more. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.